Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today, well, I have a wonderful conversation with the man at the helm of the professional triathlete organization, the PTO, Mr. Sam Renouf. Sam just speaks so well. He is so entertaining, so insightful and informative that honestly, an hour 15 went by in this conversation and I couldn't believe that that much time had gone. I think you'll find this episode to be truly entertaining and insightful when it comes to what the PTO are doing in terms of why it exists, what are they trying to achieve, how it is operating. Uh, We dive into and dissect the Collins Cup of 2021 and they hit 7 million views when it comes to the broadcast, which was absolutely incredible for the sport of triathlon. We also look at the future of the PTO and what they're trying to achieve in 2022 and beyond. Just a fantastic episode. Gave me a lot of insight anyway into what it's about. I actually feel really happy and excited for the sport when I listen to what they're trying to achieve and what they're doing. And I'm a big believer in, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats that, yes, it's called the PTO. It's the Professional Triathlete Organization, but it also is there to support the amateurs, the age groupers to have bigger and better events that are more affordable, that they're not trying to generate revenue from the age group entries, that they're looking at other ways to create revenue. And I I think that was really exciting. Now, a little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Firstly, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love you to share it on your social platforms or with your family and friends. That would really help me out. I also would appreciate any feedback, good or bad. I get that I'm not perfect. If you're going to give me bad, maybe just massage it a little bit so it doesn't hurt me too much, but I get it. I really wouldn't mind some feedback. And finally, I want you to go check out a platform called Any Question. This is a a new platform that just launched a month ago with the sport of triathlon and they've added mountain biking since and they're looking at swimming athletics and culinary arts and fitness and as you can imagine it's going to go anywhere and everywhere it's a QA platform you can go on there you can ask any expert any of the top experts on the platform questions and you can listen to any of the experts answers that they've already answered from other people on the platform fantastic site go check it out that's anyquestion.com you can use my link for a free first month, anyquestion.com forward slash Greg. So that's anyquestion.com forward slash Greg and uh, have your first free month for free. But go check it out. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode with Sam Renouf as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today's guest was formerly CEO of Motive, an active lifestyle and entertainment company, and before that, an executive at the Active Network. And he's now the CEO of the PTO, the Professional Triathletes Organization. And he's a former elite triathlete from Great Britain, and he also served as a commentator for the 2012 Olympic Games in London. His vision and passion for what the sport of triathlon can be is contagious. His ability to take an idea and put it into action is just truly remarkable. And he's become a good friend of mine over the last few years. And I take great inspiration from just watching how he operates. So welcome. And thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Sam Renouf. How are you, mate? Thanks, Greg. It's a real pleasure. You know, I almost don't have anything to say after that intro. <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> See you later, mate. That was really good. That was the quickest podcast recording I've done. 
Where are you at the moment? I'm in uh, not so sunny London. It's pretty chilly here. I was just saying it snowed yesterday, so winter is definitely here in the UK. Um, but oh. uh, yeah, getting getting ready for what will be some big announcements from the PTO, which we'll talk about, I guess, in the next hour or so in the coming weeks. And excited about getting on to Christmas in 2022. You're one of the busiest people I know. Trying to lock you in for this podcast has <laughs> taken a year, but. Has it settled down? I mean, is it a full-on push? Are you guys still in a push phase right now? You, I mean, the last time we spoke, just to give a bit of perspective, you, you were sitting in a, a corner of a, an airport plugged into to something and kind of whispering as we spoke because there was people around you. Your <laughs> meetings were just constant. You've been going, going, going. Has it settled down at all for you? So I don't think, and actually I shouldn't just say I don't think, I hope it doesn't settle down for a few years, to be honest, because, <laughs> I love you know, of, uh, and, and I mean I mean that genuinely, look, for the sport, like we're in this great spot post-Collins Cup, we've attracted a ton of interest from brands and partners and investors, and if anything, this is the time to accelerate, right? So like mm. we're in the phase where we are going at a million miles an hour, but we've got this great opportunity, and I don't mean just, when I say we, I don't mean just the PCO, I mean the sport of triathlon has this this great opportunity that we need to capitalize. And so um, we'll be running pretty hard for a while yet, I think. I love that. I lo- it's almost like an athlete mindset, isn't it? It's like, yes, we're in a push phase, put the blinders on and let's do everything yeah. we can to, to optimize where we're at. I, I think that's fantastic, mate. And I love your energy. I, I think there is almost a, you being a former sort of elite athlete, do you think that energy has crossed over well for, for what you're doing now, the, the ability to keep showing up, stay consistent and keep that energy alive? I think it's certainly the grounding, but now whether it's from being a full-time athlete myself or just that's what you need to succeed in anywhere, right? Like and we were talking beforehand about, you know, high performance people in general, whether it's a performance sport or in business or anything, it takes a certain effort and a certain mentality. I'm just very fortunate that I'm getting to apply that to something that I'm very passionate about right? mm. in triathlon, like making triathlon better. To me, this is not a job, it's a calling. Mm. And I mean that very genuinely. I know it sounds a bit, um, a bit fluffy, but to be able to apply my experiences and more particularly like network and things that I can bring to the table to a sport to make it better, it's super easy to be energetic about that, right? As you can appreciate, uh, and then you would uh, relate to that. And and you've built an amazing team around you. I mean, I was fortunate to work with you and and the broadcast side of things um, at the Collins Cup this last year and and just having dinner with the entire team that you've put together it it really is an amazing I mean you just said it's you know it's not a job it's calling that you know it feels that way but it felt like the entire team were like that the energy amongst them was absolutely incredible well, and indeed the team and indeed who we are, which is the athlete body. So, I mean, for both philosophically and hopefully it's seen in, in sort of our marketing and communications, you'll very rarely see any of the team. And when I say the team, I mean us, my fantastic chief marketing officer, CTO, various mm. folks that we brought on board. But we're really in the background and our attention is to stay in the background because we want to keep the spotlight on the folks that really matter, which are the incredible athletes that make up the membership, right? Which we truly believe are some of the greatest athletes on the planet and when the planet realizes what it takes to be a top professional triathlete the sport will explode Mm. simple as that 
Oh, I think it's fantastic what you guys are doing. Where, where were you 20 years ago? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and you know, Dave Scott said that at the, at the Collins Cup when he gave the, the inaugural address. Yeah. You know, there's been iterations of this over time. But look, triathlon is a really young sport. And I'm sure we'll get into the details of like how the PTO has been created and stuff. But this triathlon is a young sport, but it's time it's it's time to for the athletes to unite and do exactly what we're doing. So it's, uh, it's history, uh, not just inevitable, but like it's it's following the path of athlete self-determination like this has happened in so many other sports and now mm. it's triathlon scope perfect well well said well i guess the goal of today is to one like we're doing i want to get to know you who you are and and then secondly really understand sort of the pto the professional triathlete organization i i guess having an understanding of why it exists and what it's trying to achieve and even how it's operating and where it's going um so before we go any further let, let's rewind the clock and, and just give us a brief personal journey on, on how did you get here um, and that'll give us some nice perspective to understand the energy you have and the passion you have for what's going on. Sure, sure. Happy to, as long as, as, as I said before we hopped on, we put a timer on this and make sure we don't spend more than maybe a minute on me and then we can move <laughs> on to the far more important subject of the athletes. Because I'm boring, boring in comparison. You know, compared to all of your guests you have on that are these inspiring superhuman athletes from different sports, um, I'm very boring in contrast. But uh, no, look, happy to touch on it. And uh, I've been in and out of the sport of triathlon for, for 20 years. And now I have this dream job of being able to um, commercialize it more, like, like you said. But look, we should start with uh, your normal way of doing things. I've got my athletic brewing drink next to me <laughs> and I'm ready to crack it open. <laughs> oh, mate, you know what? I didn't even bring one in this morning because it's 6 a.m. here I, and even a non-alcoholic beer felt inappropriate to start the day. <laughs> well, it's just to show that it's not a real plug, you can hear the noise. There oh, you go. there That's we go. Opening, <laughs> uh, opening an upside, upside dawn. I wanted to get into the theme ah, of the Great Benny podcast. Dawn, so nice, ordered specially. A nice golden ale. <laughs> aren't they? I, I, honestly, um, they really are fantastic, aren't they? I, I, I'm not even partnered with them on the show right now. We may, we may bring it back, but I still wander on down to the store and, and grab myself, you know, a couple of six packs of the IPA or, you know, the hazy IPA I really like as well. They're very good, aren't they? They are. They're great. Look, and, and uh, they and indeed the entire space, right? There is so much going on within health and wellness at the moment. It's such an interesting sort of time for not just us as a sport, but us as an industry that the fact that we can even talk about a dedicated company that is making non-alcoholic drinks for athletes, right? That's just amazing. Like I wish yeah. this existed 20 years ago. I would probably have been a fitter and faster athlete <laughs> if, if it was. A the thing is with them, it, it's like when I first spoke to them and said, you know, you guys when I come on the show and I said, look, I'm not sober. I said, I enjoy having a occasional beer, you know, with mates and I, and I don't drink often, but when I, I have a couple of, you know, Belgium trapels that are fairly high in alcoholic content and I, and I tend to have a pretty good night. And they said, look, Greg, we, we're not, we don't want to be known as a sober company. We want to be known as a people that a, a company that basically have a product that people that really enjoy a good beer can sit down without having all the effects of the alcohol. And, uh, and I was blown away by it. Like in the afternoon I can have an IPA and yeah, I, I still feel great. I can hang out with the kids and I can work. And I know this is a massive plug for it. This is the biggest plug I've given to these guys. And <laughs> well, it's authentic. It's very, it's nice, nice it, true, is, it is authentic. Everybody. Um, they are, <laughs> they are not partnering with the show right now. This is just actually what I believe. So anyway, mate, I'm glad you crack open, crack open an athletic brewing beer. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> and it means you've actually been listening to a few of my, a bit of the show. You, you've actually listened to a couple, have you? 
It does. Well, look, uh, um, more than a couple, and I, and I mean this genuinely, for me, um, both in the role in the PTO and in general, like we look at the storytelling that comes from your podcast in particular, like this is this is um, heightening and building the profiles of the athletes and sort of digging into the really incredible stories that are behind them all, right? And whether, I mean, if I just use a, an example of one we touched on just before of Vincent and the fact that you know, he disappeared into Africa to go and teach himself to run faster, like these are just incredible stories that don't get told. And that's the, mm. one of the main things when I'm out and about and, you know, jump, jumping into the specifics of what the PTO is here to do is to unearth and promote the truly incredible stories that already exist in the sport, right? Whether it's, you know, Lionel Sanders, we, we talk about a lot because it's such an amazing crossover sports story, but also all of the others that you've had on the podcast over over the last year or so. I think you're, you're up to a year or is it slightly more now? Mm. Um so yes, I'm a, I'm a regular listener and yeah. uh, it's hugely valuable for us as we learn the stories behind the athletes. On that, first, firstly, everybody's got a journey. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a process. I don't mind if I'm meeting a, a dad or a mum at the playground when, with the kids. Everybody's got something. And, and one of the things I've enjoyed about this show is diving in a little bit deeper to understand that something. And so let's, where we were, <laughs> go back and give us the one minute <laughs> journey of Sam Renouf and how he's become the CEO of the PTO and why he's so passionate about what he's doing. Sure, sure. So that was a natural deflection. I managed to get us off for like three or four minutes and talk about <laughs> something else. But yeah, to give uh, uh, the, my, my background, as I said, I've been in and out of, uh, of triathlon for 20 years. Um, I first watched triathlon at the Sydney Olympics. Um, that was the first time I'd seen the sport and was really inspired to take it up as, as a kid. Uh, I raced through, to use the American phrase, I raced through college, right? So I was uh, a reasonable athlete as a, as a youngster. I made the Great Britain team when I was about 16 or 17, trained under Ben Bright, who I believe is, is in Loughborough still, actually, as the, as the high-performance coach and now, now leading a lot of Great Britain's fantastic efforts. And then also had the truly, and I, and I use the word carefully, amazing experience of training under Brett Sutton, obviously that you did yourself, Greg, many years ago, mm-hmm. a few years before me, mm-hmm. that taught me... A lot of, you know, the, I mean, you, you talked about it earlier, the resilience and the passion and things like that comes from applying hard work and understanding what performance takes. Um, and I really got that from, from my time in triathlon. Now, that said, and it's, it's a very natural segue to what I'm doing today, I stopped triathlon when I was 2021 20, because I wasn't a good enough to really be the level that you know a yourself and be the people you have on the podcast you know i was making it as a as an international athlete but there's a big difference between getting an international vest and making enough money to pay the mortgage um and at 21 i was uh let me think i remember the place i think i was eighth or ninth at ironman uk and i got an 800 check for the for the privilege um <laughs> and to me that crystallized it you know it was fantastic but it was a lifestyle sport and i needed to go and get a job um and so for me now Fast forward, best part of 15, 20 years, I'm getting to come back and and fix what I think is a wrong, which is that the athletes are not compensated to the level that they should be or the level of economics that exists within the sport. isn't fairly shared. But anyway, um, that was my, my short foray into triathlon uh, as, a, as a youngster. Went off, as, as you kind of commented on before, and worked at Active.com, which was an incredible experience. We were a very fast-growing technology business around the world. I lived in Singapore, lived in Australia, relocated to the States. Uh, we did a management buyout um, of the business for a, for a big private equity firm, which was fantastic. And that led me to 
this little business called Motive that was investing in mass participation and buying up um, events very similar to Iron Man's business model. So they would buy up different events and roll them together. And whilst I was with Motive, this uh, interesting, uh, very forward-thinking gentleman called Charles Adamo, who is, uh, some folks may know that name as the, the chairman of the PTO, came knocking and he presented this very, very unusual business plan to transform triathlon. Mm. And he called me about five times and we met about 10 times over a six month period. And during that time, the penny dropped for me that this was a probably the most disruptive thing that I'd seen in, you know, 10 or 15 years of working across, you know, finance and sport. But more importantly, it was also the shot in the arm that triathlon needed. Mm. And so without sounding yeah, too philosophical, I decided to take, take the leap. Charles and I um, got together and I quit my job, left. We went and spoke to investors and and we were very fortunate that one of the first investors we met was Sir Michael Moritz, who became the anchor investor in the PTO. And, and that gets us up to now. So slightly more than one minute, but that gives you a bit of the context of where I've come from. But it was an important one minute or whatever that was, a couple of minutes. Because <laughs> uh, what, I, what I really like about that is now I can really have an understanding of where the drive comes from. You know, that you were there. You were the guy that came eighth at UK and made 800 bucks and, and couldn't make make this work right i mean it's i think of it i was fairly privileged that from about 91 92 all the way through to sort of you know 2014 or whatever i was always had a reasonable income from the sport so i was in that little group that kind of go oh the sport's fine you know (laughs) what are you talking about And, and so to understand your background there is critical to understand the energy and the drive that it takes to run an operation like the pto so i think very important that we did start there, and I appreciate you for sharing it. Charles? Well, I'd also add, Greg, I think, um, and Brett would agree with me, you probably have more talent in your little finger than I did in my whole body. So <laughs> it's all, you know, relative. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But Brett never gave me that much kudos for talent. He did give me a bit of kudos for hard work. But <laughs> but Charles Adama, let's think about So how did he find you? What was that process like? Like you said he reached out to you. What was that? Five, yeah, ten times. So like Charles, Charles, I will. Um, yeah, I'll choose my words carefully here because Charles likes to stay in the background and very much doesn't like the attention put towards him. But every so often he needs to because without Charles, the sport wouldn't be or the PTO wouldn't exist. Frankly, right there. Mm. Um, so to give, let's jump into sort of a Charles and B how the PTO came together. Um, so as as it's been documented a little bit, but it, you always find it's better to repeat the stories. The PTO was founded five or six years ago as the PTU. Mm. by 17 athletes that got together at, uh, I believe it was Challenge Bahrain. I remember riding up the left-hand canyon with Timothy O'Donnell and he said, yeah, okay, we got the yeah. PTU. And I said, I'm not being a part of a union. I said, <laughs> I'm not doing a union. And, that, and I was on my last year anyway. I wasn't being any, and, and, but I remember that. So I just go on because that was one of the things that turned me off the whole thing, <laughs> the word union. Well, and, and, and- it's a, such a natural segue to Charles's involvement. So the athletes got together and said, we need to change this. Like fundamentally, um, whether it's, you know, people like myself that were way down the order, but even maybe the top athletes that I won't say their names, but there are world champions that have sort of disappeared from the sport mm. and are no longer, 
you know, they're, they're not in a financial position that they should be considering the, the level of performance they had. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, so the sport was definitely broken from a professional perspective and it needed changing. Um, some athletes got together and formed the union and it kind of bumbled along. And I mean that in no disrespect to any of the athletes doing it. it Look, they were busy, right? They were full-time professional athletes mm-hmm. that didn't have a background in governance or business. And so it kind of bumbled along for a couple of years until um, Charles became involved. And so Charles is uh, a retired businessman that had experience across lots of different businesses around the world. And he decided to lend his time um, to guide some of these athletes on the journey. And he, he was exposed to some of them quite early on uh, and really inspired by the level of athleticism and what wonderful people they were. And he felt that he had the experience that he could sort of prod the organization in the right way and, and maybe help them. Um, and that really led to, as, as you called out, the union quickly changed from the PTU to the PTO and, and Charles's advice about being an aspirational organization like the PGA Tour, something mm-hmm. that you know we can aspire to being part of rather than a union, which is a griping organization right in in, in any form Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and then ultimately to advice on we should create an entity that will create a handful of events including the collins cup and that's what can create the economics that will feed the organization grow the sport and ultimately compensate to make the athletes better so it was was back at the very beginning charles and and 17 to 20 athletes that got together and formed the idea and Fast forward two or three years later, we're now executing on those plans with investors to come and bring it to life. I mean, the investment side of things has been remarkable. Um, Who had the relationship with uh, Sir Michael Moritz? But, you know, he's obviously done very, very well for himself as probably the greatest, well, one of the greatest venture capitalists we've ever seen. But then he's gone out and started his own personal investment firm, um, Crankstart, where I think he's that's a mixture of investment investing but it's also a charitable sort of arm to it as well but how did that all start yeah that that's right so look it's um i won't give you too long a story we'd be here all day if i gave you sort of the the blow by blow but i mean when charles realized quite early on having spoken to different broadcasters about this should be a broadcast sport and fundamentally we'll get into the specifics of this um creating broadcast around the the sport is one of the most important things because it allows you to commercialize the sport in a better way Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll spend more more time on that I'm, i'm sure in a minute but in speaking to broadcasters realized that actually we needed to get venture capital investors to sort of help us on the journey because this required venture capital simple mm-hmm. as that right it required money to get things going that takes investors that are willing to risk but with big upside if you could create something because the professional sports market is, as you would know because mm-hmm. you live in it is incredibly valuable so go outside of endurance sports look at nfl look at mlb look at ufc hugely valuable entities out there and triathlon should have its role amongst those names that I just mentioned, but at the moment is highly under commercialized by the lack of broadcast. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get venture capital money to allow us to invest in the kind of team that you mentioned so kindly beforehand, you know, these passionate people that really understand how to make TV, how to make content so that we can build up the properties and and ultimately monetize it. And so Charles and I spoke to a bunch of different, um, VCs and potential investors. And so Michael Verion was one of the folks we met through uh, his role as chairman of Sequoia Capital, which is Mm -hmm. 
arguably the most famous, you know, venture firm of, of all time. You know, there's barely a, a, a disruptive business in the world that hasn't been backed by Sequoia, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're very, um, both humble and honored to be in that category, right? That, 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 so Michael looked at the PTO and our business model and, and saw the same thing. He saw a, if I sound like a banker for a second, a large addressable market. So huge TAM, as it's called in the investment world, total addressable market, and then a disruptive business model, which is how do you go after that market in a different way? Um, so Michael is not a triathlete. He doesn't come from the sport. This is not a passion play where he's coming in. Like, you know, we see many, uh, and we were talking about this beforehand, we see many sort of wealthy, successful businessmen that love the sport. They come in and for a few years they invest in it and then they disappear because the passion gets worn away. Although Sir Michael is passionate about venture investing, he's not necessarily passionate about triathlon. This mm. isn't a, a fun play for him. This is a business decision, just like, like many other investments beforehand. Um, and he liked our model. He liked us as a team and in particularly really understood the connection of what it would mean for the athletes to be owners of the organization. Mm. And that's where we really differ from almost any group out there. And, and we hope as, as we're successful over the next couple of years that this becomes a model for other sports because athletes as co-owners is incredibly important. Um, and it's important because it's like anything you, or anything in life, if you own something, you treat it differently. Um, if I use a really stupid joke, but it's one that relates to the point really well is that um, nobody replaces the oil in their rental car. If you're driving a car, you, you just turn it back up. You don't care what the engine's like. Now, if you own your car, you replace the oil, you wash it, you look after the tires. And that's the difference between being an employee and being an owner. Mm-hmm. And so for us, as, as we explain the model to Sir Michael about this isn't just investing in and we're going to pay athletes lots of money to run around and do triathlons. It's that you get to be an investor and a co-owner alongside some of the greatest athletes on the sport. He not only immediately understood it, but to him it seemed perfectly, without putting words in his mouth, um, perfectly natural because like that's the fundamentals of, of Silicon Valley investing. Is, you, know, you invest with equity with with founders with entrepreneurs and in our case the athletes are the entrepreneurs the athletes are the founders so how how has that broken up how is that equity split how much does sir michael own and how much do the athletes own so it's a, it's a model where it's a, I, I'm going to describe it in a, the simplest of terms. What we've done is we've set up a nonprofit, which is the PTO, mm. um, the PTO itself. Now that's a nonprofit entity that is ultimately out there to look after the athletes, to pay the athletes, et cetera, et cetera. And then underneath that, we have a commercial entity, which is owned jointly by Sir Michael and the investors and the nonprofit body. Right. And what it allows us to do is find a way that we can provide ownership to the sport without having to actually like physically cut equity checks and give it to all the athletes. And, you know, what if an athlete retires? Do you buy them out the next time around? Like, there's a ton of complexity there that Charles, to his credit, figured out a way that we could have ownership, um, economic ownership, without having to worry about a lot of the complexities of, of setting up the organization with equity structures and things like that. So without sounding too arcane for a, a podcast that is about performance and, and inspiration like you normally have. Um, <laughs> no. It's my own curiosity, mate. Yeah, so I, I'm curious when it when it comes to athlete ownership. Sorry, I'm going to dive a little deeper here because I'm actually just curious. Yeah, happy to. How are you giving an athlete ownership? Because one of the things when you talk about, okay, owning a car versus renting, well, one of the things yep. is you've had to give of your own money or resources to take ownership yep. of that car. 
Are you guys giving the equity away or how are they earning it? So you're, you're saying, I'm sure I'm explaining this in a in a way that um, sort of relates, relates to the sport because it's not as simple as sort of, to us, ownership is economic ownership. So what we have is the, the economics of the organization. So any money that we make, whether that's sponsorship or TV rights and the rest is equally shared between the investors and the athletes. Mm-hmm. And the way the athletes is distributed, it's through the, the PTO itself. So it's a nonprofit body that then chooses to either pay in prize money or can do other things to, to distribute the money. And so the, the, the non-profit, this is exactly the same as how the PGA Tour and the ATP is set up in that uh, they're membership-based organizations that are non-profits. Like I'll tell you a crazy statistic that most people don't, don't realize. The PGA Tour that we've all heard of is a non-profit, but with $2 billion of revenue. Absolutely incredible. Mm, mm. And most of that revenue gets paid out in prize money because that's the structure that they choose to follow. And some of it goes into grassroots and sort of funding golf in areas and then helping charities. And our model is exactly the same, is that the, the PTO nonprofit entity receives the economic benefit and then will pay out as either prize money because that's completely meritocratic. It means if you're world number one, you're getting the most. If you're world number five, you're getting less. Uh, and then anything left over, the board will decide. And the board is an elected board of the athletes to either invest in you know more prize money, frankly, or putting into grassroots or other initiatives like you you may have seen we have a maternity leave policy because Mm -hmm. we don't believe that female athletes should have to choose between starting a family and being a professional athlete like fundamentally we just we think that's wrong and so we have support structures that allow um female athletes and indeed male athletes because there's maternity leave and paternity leave um that's all funded from the non-profit and the non-profit in turn gets its money from the commercial entity which is what we're doing with the investors so that's probably a little bit more detailed than, no, than we great. need to go into, but it, it helps explain, you know, uh, what's, what's kind of a unique model. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, and uh, I touched on it briefly, but I think it's important to sort of go into slightly greedy detail on because um, although for triathlon, this feels probably quite unique and different and like, wow, what's this strange sort of organization is coming along and like handing out checks to athletes, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually not strange at all. It's happened in basically every professional sport. There's always, <laughs> you know, there's some point, and I mean, that, I'm not, yeah, I'm not no, joking. I agree. Like, it's, some, it's the natural evolution, as I said, of every sport goes through this point where it matures from a commercialization perspective or indeed just like an age perspective that professional athletes take a greater role. Mm. And that might be in the form of an organization like the PTO or the ATP or the PGA Tour, or it could be through something like a collective bargaining agreement, which, you know, for, for you and your listeners that are in America will all know that, you know, the NFL and the NBA have 50% of the revenues are paid to the professionals. It's it's actually a requirement of the organization. It's, a, it's an agreement. Um, but this has happened in almost every sport. It's just it hasn't happened yet in triathlon. And I believe the reason being is that it's a really young sport, right? We're what, 45 years old, approaching 50. And there hasn't yet been the time that the athletes have united in this way. Um, now they have, and we're in the really fortunate position that they've been able to, because we have the backing of arguably one of the greatest investors of all time. Have you had, um, talking about the athletes, have you had any sort of pushback or, or say this isn't what they're into? I, I kind of come from... Okay, so the athletes, the top one percenters, if you like, that are doing exceptionally well, you know, through endorsements, sponsorships, um, have they all been willing and comfortable jumping on board? Have you had any pushback? One of the the challenges we as a sport have to recognize, and this is not unique to triathlon, this is every sport, and we had this advice from one of our board members is uh, is a gentleman called Chris Commode, who, who was the head of the ATP, so hugely valuable, as ATP is in the head of tennis, mm-hmm. um, hugely valuable experience for us. And one of the things he taught us quite early on is that it's not so much a challenge, it's just something to recognize, is that athletes' careers are always on a different arc, right? You're either on the way up 
you're at the top or you're on the way down. <laughs> and so having an organization that can compensate for that is challenging, but required, right? And so, as I said before, we have an athlete board, which is freely elected amongst the athletes. Depending on what your ranking are, you have different weighting of the election. And so it does recognize that, you know, the higher ranked athletes have more commercial value at the most simplest of terms, like call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods is, is worth more as, a, as an athlete than the hundredth place golfer. This is not nothing to do with triathlon. I'm saying it's in every different sport. Mm-hmm. And we have to be set up in a way that we can compensate the very top athletes because they deserve to be compensated, but also at the same time recognizing that there's a development phase here and to be the world number one, you probably had to be the world number 20 or the world number 50. Mm. And so that those are part of what I would say um, the slightly unusual challenges or um, business problems that we need to go through. And it's why we have folks like Chris Commode on board um, to help guide not just me, but our athlete board, which is made up of, you know, some fantastic people. You mentioned Tio just before as the president alongside Rachel Joyce. You know, these are folks that are that are dealing with, I wouldn't call them problems. They're sort of natural outcomes of having an organization that's focused on the professionals. Yeah. Well, I like, I like how you said, you know, you've got the athletes on the way up and then they're at the peak and then they're on the way out. And, and you kind of touched on what you having to organize for the athletes at the top and the ones that are starting out uh, the PTO yeah. what do you what have you got together for the athletes that are on the way out because one of the things that I've seen and I, I'm, I'm going to probably later on the show have a, a retired recently retired NHL player and we're talking about the transitioning from sport to real life <laughs> that, that kind of yeah. and the difficulties that go with it it's to do with finding purpose it's actually not as much about. There is a, obviously a financial side to it, but it's 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 also that loss of purpose. Have you are you guys looking at programs for you know retiring athletes and that kind of thing? Absolutely. So like the uh, and this is where the athletes are very. When I say the athletes, I mean the athlete board are very engaged with what we're doing here. We've got various different committees on what's the right structures to manage the sport. And when I say manage, I don't mean necessarily in sort of a governance structure, but what are the underlying systems that we could implement that are going to make the sport better? So maternity leave policy. Could we could we ever get to a point where we have global insurance as an example or global healthcare? You know, mm-hmm. not easy things to do because of all of the different complexities around you know different jurisdictions, but. Um, this is where we are truly unique and different from other organizations, both within triathlon, but in many other sports, and that this is an athlete body. And so we will lean in and focus on those things, even though, you know, if we were a short term, uh, well, actually not even just short term, if we were uh, just a race promoter and we were putting on events to be able to put them on TV to make money, we wouldn't give a monkeys about any of that kind of stuff, right? Like, it's just, that's not what we're doing. But this is where the PTO is very different in that this is an athlete organization that's looking out for athletes and athletes' welfare. And if I was to, you know, stretch that a little bit and, and speak on the commercial side, it just makes sense to invest in your athletes and make sure they're better looked after because you're going to have greater athletes. I mean, some people questioned us about 18 months ago. In fact, is it? Yeah, it's nearly 18 months now. When COVID hit, we paid out our rankings like nine months early, um, if you remember. So we, we have an annual payment. Mm-hmm. It's about $2 million at the end of the year that we pay to the top 100 male and female. And with the support of Michael Moritz, when COVID hit, we went to him and we said, look, we think we need to do something that's quite unusual. We need to pay this out earlier. Even though the athletes haven't raced yet, they haven't earned it. There's going to be no racing. There's going to be no mm-hmm. way to make a living. And we're concerned both for their welfare, but also just for the sport. And so to us, it was the most natural thing in the world to pay that early because what you do and again I'm going to sound a bit like a banker again you invest in your assets in good times and bad and if arguably that's when you need to do it the most is in a bad time and so we were able to make decisions like that because we have a 
different way of looking at the world than say just a pure commercial operator that's you know worried about how many age groupers are going to turn up to the event or how many people will buy a subscription you know we're very much focused on the athlete body itself because that's who we are did you find by doing that was there an appreciation from the athletes and, and what i mean by the appreciation was there did they act in a way that they went above and beyond what you were asking from them no more so than we would expect it because, you know, we're we're a young organization and we know it's going to take time to get everybody on board. And we've been excited with the progress we've made in, in two years. I'd actually, and I know we'll talk about the, the, the Collins Cup in greater detail, but I'd actually fast forward to, to me, the moment when the athletes really saw quite how different this was. And, and you saw it personally because you were there, of course, um, was the Collins Cup. Well, let's go to that. Let, let's, let's transition yeah. right to the Collins <laughs> Cup because that's, I did want to go there. Um, yep. and, and, so let's... Let's segue into that. I um, you mentioned earlier that you know it has to be about it's got to be led with broadcast and, and getting it out there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I spent thirty years in the sport, plus racing, watching. I love to do it. Always struggled to sit down and, and watch a long race. Now this is a big hurdle for yes. the sport. I can sit down and watch a game of tennis, even though I don't really play tennis well. I can sit down and even watch golf, and I'm a shocking golfer. This has to be the top of thought for you guys as we, you know, came into Collins Cup, uh, the format and everything else about it. So take us through what that, what the Collins Cup was for listeners that maybe haven't seen or heard it, um, which I think will be only a few, but let's come up, you know, with the idea and how did you get there for the type of format that it was? And before we go into that level of detail, let's just touch on the tennis and golf comment because you're completely you're completely right. And I would say it's exactly the same thing with every sport. If you the reason why you like watching tennis and golf, or you occasionally watch tennis and golf, is that you've got Hawkeye, you've got graphics, you've got fantastic backstories, you have real investment in the product. <laughs> if you took all of those, if you took all of those things away, and like so let's say let's apply it to sailing as a good example. Like if you took away graphics and and real time speed and the storytelling, sailing you can barely even see the boats out of water. Like it's the most terrible product <laughs> from a true. television perspective, yeah. uh, and, you know. And, and yet, the America's Cup is one of the most watched events in sport. And so, my point there is that the reason why triathlon isn't a great television product yet isn't because of anything wrong that's with triathlon. Mm. It's that people haven't invested in the right way in the way that it's broadcast mm. because it hasn't been part of their business model. To be fair, right? Let's open about it. You know, Iron Man is the biggest player in the market, and Iron Man has a business model that is incredibly successful around selling age group entries about selling in a participation and they have media as kind of an afterthought as a bit of top top of funnel awareness if we do marketing speak but it's not fundamental to what they're doing Mm. and so they're not going to invest heavily in it um and as a result the tv product historically i would say in the sport hasn't been great um so one of the first things we did and it was fundamental to the to the business plan when we met with sir michael was that we need to invest in storytelling technology and the broadcast itself and that's really around talent of like bringing great people that can surface the stories because we knew deep down and i say deep down not not that deep like people like yourself people like Jan, daniela gustav christian there are incredible stories about what they the people that they are and the athleticism of what they do but you've got to serve it up in a way that's engaging Mm. for a television audience that is frankly used to nfl quality 
And that's one of the challenges is that, you know, we're, we're not competing. When I think of our competition, I don't think of Super League or World Triathlon or Ironman or even marathon running. You think of everything that people have disposable time for. Mm. That's what our competition is. And for better or for worse, that means the bar is really, really high. And so you've got to invest in creating exciting media products so you can get people to watch. Now, the end result of that, and I'll stop talking and we can go to the Collins Cup, is that if we can create an exciting, engaging product, we have the actors already. Like if I use it in a sort of business speak, the actors are already there. And the actors are some of the greatest uh, um, athletes on the planet. We need to set the stage that is an easy way to translate that to the everyday person so that they can engage and watch. And if we do, then sparks fly and the sport becomes infinitely bigger than it is. Um, but people haven't been able to do that yet because they haven't had the inclination or the budget or the focus to do so. Just a quick break uh, to remind you to go check out Any Question. You can use my link, anyquestion.com forward slash Greg. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Greg and get your first month free. The Collins Cup. I mean, these days we're dealing with people that have shorter and shorter attention span. Um, You know, like you said, how much time do they have to give to an event? How how did the format? come to play whose idea was that and um yes yeah let's let's go into details and this is where charles and the athletes and a few other advisors that he got together kind of looked at the fundamentals of the sport and the collins cup is slightly different from most of the things we'll do because it uses what's known as a scoreboard narrative to tell the story so what i mean by that is probably pretty obvious to anyone who hears it but um a normal narrative in triathlon is you know the gun goes off person who crosses the line is the winner, right? In contrast, scoreboard narrative, similar to the Ryder Cup, it's not about who crosses the line first. It's the points that go through a competition and there's various different matches. And so as hopefully as, like you said, everyone who I think listens to your podcast probably either knows what the Collins Cup is or is bored of hearing the PTO promote it, um, is a competition between Europe, international and the rest of, and uh, the USA. So we took the athletes, put them into regions and they raced one on one on one. So matches of one, two, three athletes at a time for points to crown who would be the Collins Cup winner. Um, And like many things that we're doing, all we're doing is looking at other sports, see what works well and applying it to to our sport. And in the case of the Collins Cup, it is absolutely carbon copy of the Ryder Cup which is the biggest moment in golf. And the reason why it's the biggest moment in golf is, is partly because of the level of competition they get. So they're very, very top, top golfers in the world. But ultimately that the scoreboard narrative and the USA versus Europe appeals to the general sporting fan. Because if we switch on the TV, I'm not a golfer at all. I've ne- never played golf. I've watched some of it recently because of, because of the job, obviously with the PTO and understanding the market. But if I switch on the Ryder Cup, I see a graphic and it's red or blue. And that means is Europe ahead or is US ahead? And so it's instantly understandable. And that's what we're looking to do with the, the Collins Cup is create a product that instantly understandable, can tell the stories of the athletes, but do it in a way that may, really goes a bit further. Um, and that was our, that's our first, first go. So yeah, it was uh, in just outside of Bratislava, as you know, because you were there, part of our, of our commentating team. And overall, a huge success huge amounts of things that we want to uh, change and improve, which we will, but the most basic level, we were um, not just excited and emboldened. There's a reason, as, as you said at the beginning, how busy I've got. It's that we've shown in our first event that not only can triathlon be exciting as a TV product, but more importantly, if it's created and invested in, then there is an audience that will watch it. Mm. So we had close to 7 million people tune in from around the world 
And those are the kind of numbers that now don't just relate to the triathlon world. Now you're talking tennis, golf, cycling, true professional sports numbers. And those are the kind of things we can monetize. Off that 7 million, have you been able to, you said you're having a lot of meetings right now, investors and, and potential partners. That's all coming to fruition. You, you're seeing that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And look, when we were thrilled, I shouldn't, shouldn't get past from the, the thrill, but the partners that we had, um, you know, that took the bit of the leap of even working with us yeah. in, in year one, you know, we had Zwift and Wahoo and Tiffany's that made our trophy and Tag Heuer was our timekeeper. Um, as you may have seen, so we had the, the Tag Heuer watches around, around the course. So we were excited to have, at, um, some partners join us even on the first, first round. Um, the business plan of the PCO is, is very patient. That is a reason why we've got brought on venture capital. This thing won't happen overnight but we're very comfortable um that by investing in the athletes investing in the storytelling around the athletes and then creating events that are opportunities for those athletes to get together and do what they do best which is you know the phenomenal athleticism that you used to do in your career and and athletes are doing now that will create a product that we can monetize um but look like like so many venture capital backed businesses we're not worried about revenue in the short term um we will bring on partners as as is the you know the right time to do so the most important thing is, is creating an exciting and engaging product that people will watch. And that's what I think uh, we've got some way to do. Yeah, I, I think it was phenomenal. The, I was fortunate, like you said, to be there. And one of the things that I truly enjoyed was the actual athlete press conference where they had all the teams up on stage. Yes. So the athletes were all, were all sitting up there. And what I couldn't get over, um, I was asking most of the questions, but what I couldn't get over is how nervous they all were. I mean, we were talking about <laughs> the very best that have done press conferences for 10, 15 years for some of them, and yet there was a nervousness. There was an energy about it that representing Europe or US or international, and there was a fidgety, and there was this... They knew they were, that it was going to be a big performance and that they didn't want to let their team down, and, and it created this energy that I haven't seen. I honestly have not seen um, maybe an Olympic Games-type press conference, but really... This was different. Did you pick up on that as well? Yeah. Absolutely. And look, uh, um, one of the, the we've talked about golf and tennis a lot, but one of the sports that we look to mimic a lot is UFC. And there's, there's multiple reasons in that. In fact, actually, let's, let's go off on a slight tangent because I'll relate to like, how would people ever think that MMA is related to triathlons? Um, so there's, there's a couple of reasons why. And one of them we think people don't, don't necessarily pick on too, so, too quickly. The first is the obvious one, which is rivalries, right? And creating that tension and that we care who is competing against each other. And if I, be critical because I think it's a good to occasionally point to where the sport was wrong. If you go back to, I think it was 2019, you, you would know this better than me. You're a better historian of the sport than I am. When Jan and Ali, well, sorry, when Jan Frodeno and Alistair Brownlee had their first um, face-to-face in Kona, I think that's 219, maybe mm-hmm. it was two, nine, 2018. In the build-up to that, there was almost no coverage of these two athletes coming together. It was, you know, and, and let me I should clarify, like the ch- magazines were covered and things like that. But Ironman as an organization, it was mainly, you know, registration is opening for Estonia or 70.3 Russia, or we've got a new <laughs> event in another region. And so us, and this was just before I got involved in the PTO, to me, that was almost like the penny dropped moment of seeing that there's a missed opportunity here. Because in contrast, this is, you know, arguably two of the greatest athletes of our time, the two gold medalists of the last three Olympic cycles, one German, one 
Britt, who, you know, publicly don't particularly like each other, coming together in a face-to-face, like, that's huge. And yet that wasn't the narrative. Mm-hmm. And so to us, we actually have a pretty easy job here. We've just got to surface these kind of stories um, and do it in a way that is authentic and it connects in, a, in, in a, and like that. And so that's the sort of the first comparison to, to sort of UFC and that UFC doesn't necessarily promote UFC. They promote who Conor McGregor is, right? They promote who Ronda Rousey is. And then UFC benefits as an organization. We're exactly the same. You'll see us out. Our job is to make Christian Blumerfeld and Gustav Eden and Lucy Charles Barkley superstars. And that way the sport will grow on, on their backs. Um, so that's the kind of the, the first parallel to UFC. Then we'll jump back into the Collins Cup. The other one, which I think is one that, I, that not enough people pick up on, is that if you look at what the UFC does at, at its most basic level, it is crowning who the ultimate fighter is. Mm-hmm. So they've taken boxing and karate and judo and all the different arts, uh, martial arts and said, doesn't matter about that. The ultimate athlete, sorry, the ultimate fighter is the UFC. We're wanting to do the same thing with endurance sports, with triathlon, because if you look at what triathlon was done at the very beginning, right back with the Collinses, um, triathlon was was created to answer the bet of who was the fittest athlete. Was it a swimmer, cyclist or a runner, right out in, out in Hawaii when they did that? Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe that the triathlete is the ultimate athlete. Um, there just isn't enough focus that recognizing, frankly, the athleticism of what we see in these athletes. And so that's what we're, we're here to do is crown the ultimate athlete as a, as a triathlete. Um, anyways, it's, it's a slight, uh, I love that. No, I'm all pumped a, up a, now, mate. I there, love that. That, that, that has me going. I, I think that, <laughs> that was really great analogy. And now I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. So keep going. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> to finish off that part then, sorry to speak over you then, <laughs> as you're all pumped up, let's think of it from economics perspective. The UFC recently went public for IMG. It's a $10 billion organization. Um, Conor McGregor makes multiples of $100 million as, as, an, as an athlete. And he was, you know, he was a bartender in Ireland until the UFC came along. So imagine what could be done with a sport of triathlon where you've got these superhuman athletes with a market of age groupers and fans that are the highest demographic of any sport. It just hasn't all been connected together. Mm-hmm. And really, that's what we're here to do and, and create huge amounts of value for, for the athletes and turn them into the superstars that they already are. It's just that the world doesn't recognize it yet because no one's been promoting them. Simple yeah, as that. Yeah. And I, and I really believe uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So if we can, yeah. if we can get the professionals and the broadcasting within our sport to be bigger, well, then surely when we look at because our yeah. sport has been somewhat age group driven for you know forty, fifty years, and but I feel like by doing that, you'll be able to put on bigger and better events for the age groupers, probably, hopefully, re- reduce the entry fees, which have. I, I think have just got I'm out so of control. Glad you said that. Um, yep. And, yeah, and, and exactly. so that's yep. where I see the positives of what you guys, I think, cause I feel sometimes I feel like, well, the age groupers go, well, hang on, this is our sport too. What are you doing? And, but I, I just wanted to put that in there because I kind of feel like if we can do this, the amount of more money that comes into the sport helps us have greater events for everybody. Is that, is that a focus for you as well? A hundred percent. Look, I, I think we'll, um, we should probably spend a little bit more on the Collins Cup and then we can jump into our 22 plans, but I can share now and look, we haven't even done it publicly yet. So I guess this will come out probably just before we announce it, but all of the events that the PTO operates moving forward will include both age group racing and professional racing. And that was always our intention, by the way, because age group racing is one of, sorry, the, I said that the wrong way. The fact that age groupers can race alongside professionals is one of the most special things about triathlon, mm-hmm. right? If you go to UFC or you go to tennis or 
or golf, you go to the US Open in tennis, you can't jump onto the center court on, on Monday morning and play tennis afterwards as an amateur, right? Mm-hmm. You can't go and drive around Silverstone or in Monaco in the Formula One. But in triathlon, you can tow the line on the same course, not necessarily at the same time, because, you know, we've got the complexity of all the broadcasts, but you can go as an amateur and um, really compare yourself and race alongside the greatest athletes in the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's something truly unique that the that, that triathlon has. So um, age groupers are a very important part because they are ultimately, if you think about our, um, because we have a broadcast model, um, our, we look at the world of, of not just people that sign up to the events as being our customers, but anyone who watches, right? That's a very, very obvious point. But that means that the people that not only watch, but also sign up, they're our most valuable stakeholder. They're the people that we need to look after the most. And you said this first, so it doesn't matter that I say it. Age groupers are being gouged at the moment because all of the costs of the sport is, or largely all of the costs, like 80, 90% of the costs are sitting on age group fees, entry fees, sorry. Wow. And we just think that's fundamentally wrong. It Right. It's, yeah. it's just the wrong, wrong model. Uh, and if you think about it, even there's sort of a philosophical reason why that's wrong. It's also just bad business because why would you charge your most loyal customer the most money? <laughs> that's makes true. total, yeah. it makes zero sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, if, if, if I take Chelsea, Chelsea football club is not too far away from, from me here in London. If Chelsea had to pay all of its footballers, with just the ticket gate, the gate entry fees, you know, they wouldn't, they'd be out of business, right? They mm. keep their, their ticket fees relatively low because that's their fan base and they need to reward them. And we all know what sport's like if there are no fans in the stands, right? That is an incredibly important part. Mm. But if you switch gears to triathlon, we seem to think it's, it's, it's okay to charge, you know, $500, $1,000 to our most passionate fans. And yet we wonder why there's an attrition problem in the sport. Mm. Anyways, we, we got, we went off another tangent there, Greg. No, I'm Sorry. happy to go on tangents <laughs> all day, every day, on, mate. On I- I love the way you talk and share your <laughs> stories. So I'm happy to do anything you want. But yeah, the, the Collins Cup, we'll, we'll revert back and we'll. Um, that is that going to remain in Slovakia? I mean, it's Samarin. So the Collins Cup will. So we're, our, our plan is very simple. Um, and if I just touch slightly on sort of the, the Collins Cup first, that was a Ryder Cup team team based event. Our plan, we've been very open about, is to establish four, maybe five other events in addition to the Collins Cup, and those will be. Um, the U.S. Open, we're going to call it the PTO U.S. Open, the PTO Canadian Open, PTO European Open, and the PTO Asian Open. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that has got any sense of sport will know is that, you know, again, we're copying tennis and golf. We're looking at what are the, the most important sports, uh, sporting events in those events. Um, sorry, in those sports, what are the most important events? And it's the majors, it's the Grand Slams. And so that's what we're going to create is just a handful of those. So, you know, we're not competing with Ironman and Challenge by creating hundreds of events around the world and lots of different racing opportunities we're keeping very focused on just a handful of events that um, we will invest in to create the biggest tv moments and the biggest fields um so the collins cup itself will move around we will probably and i say probably because we're close to announcing this keep it in europe for one more year and the reason for that is that we had a bunch of challenges like you were there you saw it firsthand whilst i would say that we were very happy with the um the collins cup overall and it absolutely validated the things we said earlier that we can make a tv product and people will watch we still had a huge amount of technical issues that were unfortunate, <laughs> but just a reality of, you know, a first year event. And, you know, you're probably too polite to say it out loud, but like for, for you and the other commentators that like you were basically commentating blind for a lot of it, right? Or not blind. So you're commentating deaf because we didn't have the audio. <laughs> I was sitting <laughs> between, uh, I was sitting between Phil Liggett and uh, Vicky Holland and I'd have to lean right in to hear what Phil said and then lean right over and, uh, you know, I felt for Phil yeah. Liggett on that one, to be honest, because he couldn't <laughs> hear what Vicky was saying and I'd have to kind of, you know, so it was an interesting little game we were playing in the booth, yeah. <laughs> 
Really challenging, exactly. And so look, that's just one very specific example for the folks that, you know, wouldn't realize that uh, hopefully we gave off at least sort of some of the impression of, you know, a, um, a swan that's swimming along the water. But I guarantee underneath <laughs> the water, our legs were kicking away like crazy because, um, and it was partly, look, it was partly natural things because it was a first time event, right? We never delivered it before um, mm -hmm. in a new venue within COVID. So we had to do some restrictions. We then had the weather play in. But to give context, actually, and it's relevant for those that are, you know, that are deeply in triathlon to realize um, we had some of our partners were from, uh, I won't say the names of the companies because people won't know them, but you know, these are the leaders in, in sports broadcasting across every sport, right? Like this is the Olympics, this is the World Cup rugby, this is football. And our vendors were sharing that this was some of the most complicated outside broadcast they'd ever done. Because if you think about triathlon, you know, we're going across, you know, a hundred kilometer area of land across three disciplines with athletes spread all over the place. It was a, a ton of complexity, which, you know, that's unfortunate one of those um, crosses that we're going to have to bear, right? We're going to have to figure that out as we do. And so we, we've got some areas that we'll need to improve. But overall, we were very happy that um, the product worked. I suppose, if, put it a different way, if you and I were saying, hey, what a fantastic broadcast, it all worked perfectly, but, you know, the racing was kind of boring, then I'd be very, very worried, right? But actually, we had the opposite. Mm -hmm. We had a broadcast which had some issues and we had some technical problems going into things, but the core racing itself, the athletes racing for Europe, as you said, in the as you started with in the um, in the press conference, the athletes were nervous. Uh, and in fact, one of, mm -hmm. the, one of the criticisms, which we always laughed at beforehand, is that people said to us, well, this, this won't be a real competition because you're paying the athletes uh, in advance and they're not used to racing for the country, so they're not going to care. And I think, you know, you saw it firsthand. Uh, you couldn't get more different from the truth. You had, you know, Jan pushing all the way to the finish line. You know, Jan doesn't do that because Jan doesn't need to do that, right? Like mm -hmm. Jan, Jan wins by a long way. And, and because of the points format, I should add, he needed to push right the way to the, to the finish line. And, and Jan's just one example of tons of different athletes that really showed that the product worked, um, which was which was super exciting um and as relates to the you know the commercial side of it and i said this to, to one or two folks before we even had the event i'm very glad that the event did go well but even if it had been more challenging than it was we were ahead of our business plan even before the cameras rolled because uh, our original assumption in creating this with with sir michael moritz was that we would take a couple of years probably to convince the broadcasters to give us airtime right because you know as you said before you occasionally watch golf and tennis but triathlons generally pretty boring so um we thought you know let's put the collins cup on maybe we'll put it on facebook live for a couple of years show that it's interesting then one day a broadcaster might give us some time and then you know in five years maybe they'll pay us for it and i'm really happy to say as as we all know now with hindsight we were live in over 100 markets around the world for seven hours on linear tv um years ahead of our business plan but frankly a validation that you know the clever people that are in the in those satellite boxes deciding what goes on tv they recognize the value in this sport it's just that no one's brought it to them in the right way before mm -hmm. i i think it, i really do think it presented very well i i thought the format was was different it certainly made it um interesting being in the booth trying to call 12 races at the one time um but that also <laughs> yes. made it interesting too you know there wasn't a moment personally on you know i don't like to bring it all back to me because it wasn't all about me obviously but <laughs> the um it was it, time it, it, it time. made it it actually made it a lot of fun it made it fun because yep. one moment I'm, i might be calling a race with you know Jan Fadino and the next I'm over to Lucy Charles or whoever and I'm I'm going around and so I was never for a moment going 
well, his running form looks good and what kind of shoes has he got? And, you know, that really, when you, if you listen yeah, to some yeah, of these totally. long course events, you're like, oh, give these commentators a rest or give them something to talk about because, <laughs> you know, it's becoming very monotone and, and they're all good friends of mine and so I'm not hammering them, I'm hammering what they're getting to actually talk about. It's the product it's the that product. they're having to and, deal with. And, yeah, uh, it's the, yeah, exactly. On the, on the, you mentioned the, pay, the payment thing. That was, I was a little bit like, ah, oh, I didn't love the whole paying them beforehand and I agree we still got a great event is that something that you guys are going to keep in place because what I'd love to see and, and while I got you I might as well just tell you I'd love to see look you qualify for the Collins Cup you'll be taken care of with a certain amount of money with five grand or whatever and as, as a congrats and and we'll look after your travel and then having it based more on the team with then individual performance bonuses given out after that. Are you guys considering that or are you going to keep it where you're going to pay the athletes basically? So um, two ways to answer your question. And the first one is why we even have the, the structure that we do at the moment, which is that we, uh, so if we compare to the Ryder Cup, and many people won't know this, the Ryder Cup actually, even though it's the biggest event in golf and makes a fortune for the USGA, doesn't actually pay the athletes anything. <laughs> they do it for the glory. They do it for the glory and they do it for the profile that they get wow. because if they win the Ryder Cup, it's the biggest moment in golf. Now, I'm not saying by any sense of the word that we would not pay the athletes, but what I what I wanted to get to is that the reason we have the prize structure that we do is we are rewarding athletes for the racing that they do all year because you have to qualify and we think they're chronically underpaid in other events and therefore you're racing all year long to qualify for the Collins Cup and then this is just a mechanism that we get to compensate you for things you've done all year long so that's kind of a philosophical difference it's a again another dig at the fact that we don't think the market works in the right way it's not compensating athletes fairly that the way they should be now that said move past to the philosophy to like the mechanics of how we're, how we're paying the athletes um, the simple answer is, is yes to you Greg you might like hearing that we, we put this to the athlete board and we'll decide you know how do we go and create a method of compensation that maybe you know gets people more excited like do we have some of it around the team that wins do you have some of it around the athlete mm, um, mm. all different things that the athletes are going to decide in, in the coming weeks um, for year one look it was important for us to give folks like you know Jan and Daniela and indeed all of the 36 athletes that made it we needed to give them the assertity that they were going to be mm-hmm. well compensated for what they were doing I think now that they've been there and seen it and you know we kind of touched on this and then we, we jumped onto a different subject to me the penny drop moment for the PTO was not us paying the rankings early 18 months ago. That was more just necessary evil, frankly, like that necessary evil. We had to do it because the world needed it. Um, the penny drop moment for me was during the week of the Collins Cup, as you saw the athletes that were there really get behind the team dynamic, like really leaning in. And again, it's unfair for folks that we're referencing. Of course, you saw it because you were there in Bratislava. But um, I think it was a time when people realized, the athletes realized that this is different, right? This is not just another event. Um, This is actually an organization that's very much behind them as media stars and profiles that want to be built up and promoted. Um, and so I think coming out of the Collins Cup, we were, we were really emboldened by this is going to be different, right? And, and the rest of our events will be very similar. Do you think some of the success was because of the limited racing we had for 18 months that perhaps, I mean, do you, do you think riding that COVID wave in the sense like Daytona was definitely that at the end of last year where it was a massive success because people were starved for any kind of entertainment. And I think it it, it was a very different race because of that. Collins Cup, if we mm, think about mm. going forward next year, depending on what happens with COVID, if more events are popping up everywhere, there's more Ironmans, there's more, 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 does it, does it make it harder 
now for the PTO to have a standout event? Um, so, so probably two answers to your question again. Um, one, we 100% benefited from the Olympics, right? So we did that on purpose, right? Let's call it what it is. We were we were three weeks after the Olympics. Um, our major broadcaster was Discovery Eurosport. That was the you know the major broadcaster outside of North America for the Olympic Games, and so we absolutely harnessed that. So that was a benefit. I don't think, to be honest, we benefited too much from a crowded calendar last year or a, a less crowded calendar, um, because frankly, the athletes were in a difficult position of having to race all around the place. It was kind mm. of like everything was being pushed back into the, the back half That's of the year. True. Now, as you look ahead to next year, it's a slightly different dynamic, actually. One of the reasons, and we can we can go into greater detail on what these events are, one of the reasons that we're not having um, 50 events or 25 events is recognizing that problem. We don't want to crowd the calendar. And so what we're going to do is focus on a handful of very big budget, high exposure events that become the pinnacle moments, become the sort of the priority. And then we'll allow other people to go, sorry, other athletes to go and do the other events to qualify and, and get there. So we're not wanting to, like I said, replace Challenge or replace Ironman or replace the ITU. We want to be able to be part of the ecosystem. Um, and because we believe athletes should be paid more, we will provide the economics that we think they're justified that will make them the priority, frankly. Mm. And so to, to put our money where the mouth is, you know, currently looking, we'll, we'll announce this in the next couple of couple of days, but the, the prize purse across the PTO events next year is going to probably be about $5 million. Um, it's a significant amount of money. Um, it's going to be higher than any of the other the events um, or the event, event series or promoters. And we think that's the kind of economics that befits the level of talent that this sport has. Um, and so we're, we're pretty excited about doing it. But should we, uh, should we touch on next year then? Should we talk through the calendar? Yeah, yes, please, please. So just between you and me, nobody else is listening. Give me all the details that you can of what's <laughs> happening in 2022. <laughs> yes, well, uh, and I'll say this a little carefully because some of this stuff, uh, this will be the first time it's gone out. Um, some of it, the dates haven't exactly been confirmed, but I can share that like, having had one event in the Collins Cup last year, originally we were planning to do two. Um, I'm happy to share that we're going to jump to four next year. So we're actually going to go ahead of our business plan just because uh, things went so well. And what we'll be establishing is, first of all, is an event that isn't one of the majors, but it's an exciting product in itself. It's going to be called the LA Pro-Am. Yeah. And that's sponsored by Herbalife. And so let's take a couple of minutes to talk about that one. I hope we're going to see you across in, in Los Angeles for that. And it's going to be very different to the others. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't what it. it will be is, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's going to be different in that, um, if in fact, if I relate to golf again, in golf, you've got, you know, the majors, you've got the PTO tour, you've got the European tour. But actually, if you look outside of the masters, the next most popular events to watch from a broadcast perspective aren't the PGA tour or the European tour. It's the programs. It's the Bob Hope International and there's a few others. And so again, taking a leave from golf, we've looked at what's the way that we can connect with a broader audience. And so we've created the program. And so what the LA program will be is, is two events. We'll have a non drafting Olympic distance race for the $100,000 prize purse, you know, akin to the kind of stuff that you were, you and Laura were racing in, in North America back in the day, or not that long, to be fair, but, you know, the last 10 years or so. Um, but alongside that, we will have a mixed relay celebrity program where we will take um, five men and five women, and they will race alongside celebrity athletes and Paralympic athletes in a mixed relay, um, essentially all around uh, entertainment and promotion. And the logic of that, 
again, going into detail, is that this is a fun way to showcase the athleticism of professional triathletes because we believe fundamentally that when the world realizes quite how athletic and superhuman they are, then they will become fans and they will go on into the sport. So I can't really say, you know, which celebrities we'll have or anything like that because we're still working through all those details. But my goal for that event will be that can we have one or two stars at the end of it tweeting, oh my goodness, I can't believe athlete X just did this after that then we will have done a good job mm. because what that event will do is it won't just connect with the people that are watching the Collins Cup. It will connect with people that have never seen a triathlon before, but they follow those celebrities and they get exposed to the sport and they say, wow, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tune into another PTO event or I might register to come and do an Ironman or a sprint distance race. And we bring more people into the sport. Mm. So that's event one. And that's going to be in May. We've already announced that. Uh, and so that'll be on with a, a nice broadcast. It'll go out uh, in early May. Then we're going to, um, happy to share. We're going to, what I hope will be three major events next year. So three majors is in the aligning to the strategy we set beforehand. So we'll have the Collins Cup, um, very similar to what we did last year. A few tweaks with the delivery, adding in a few other components, adding in age group racing. So that's one important part, of it, as I said before, from, from now on, every event that the PTO has will have an age group racing alongside professionals. And it's not like that's actually anything new. That was always in our business plan. We just planned that the first couple of years we would focus just on the broadcaster, the, the professional race, make sure we could get that right before we added the complexity of adding age groupers in. But sim simple as that. Um, so the Collins Cup will return. Most likely we're going to do it in August in Europe. We're still finalizing the details and we'll put out some social media updates soon. And then if we all keep our fingers crossed, you know, COVID, you know, even in the last week, we've had some changes with, you know, this latest strain. So dealing with events through COVID has been a bit of a challenge, but I'm hoping that we'll establish at least one, if not two of our majors. And most likely we're going to bring them to North America, which is obviously, you know, the, the biggest market for triathlon. Um, and a major, if I just spend, you know, 30 seconds or a minute articulating what it will be, is going to be a, a multi-sports festival with triathlon at the pinnacle. And so what I mean by that is we as a, as a business strategy, as we look at the PTO, I don't look at triathlon as just triathletes. I also look at it as swim, cycling and running. And the reason for that is it gives us a much, much bigger addressable market of people to talk to, but also a much bigger market of people to convert into triathletes, right? You're far more likely, I think, to do a triathlon if you've had a swim background or if you're a master swimmer or if you already have a bike. Like, And so we want to be able to connect with those kind of um, those athletes and bring them into triathlon because we believe once they're in, we can get them hooked because triathlon is the ultimate athlete, as I said earlier, right, when we were comparing to, to, to UFC. So our events will be four to five days long, multi-sports festivals. We'll have an open water swim race. We will have a running race. We'll have cycle racing, and we're working through some interesting activations with some sponsors at the moment. So those are the three events we'll do in the lead-in. And then during the event weekend, we'll have a $1 million prize purse event for the professionals to race in. Um, over primarily the 100-kilometer distance, so 2-kilometer swim, 80-kilometer bike, and 18-kilometer run, exactly what we did in Daytona and in uh, at the Collins Cup. And then around the, the professional racing, so at separate times so that we can do the broadcast, we will have age group racing over the same distance and then also sprint racing. Wow. So it's... You know, a whole festival, and you've been <laughs> Love it. politely quiet it's, as I explained all of that. But you might notice because you, I think, have a place not too far the, the, from the destination where we've taken inspiration from, which is you know Garth Proud and, and the team that built the Noosa Multi Sports Festival those years ago. Um, mm. That you know, it's kind of changed for, for those that 
I've got into the sport more recently, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it follows the same format anymore. I think it's more focused just on the triathlon. But if you go back 20 years ago, you had the top runners in the world, you had the top cyclists, you had the top swimmers, right? It was the whole mm-hmm. sport getting behind it in Noosa. And we think that's an amazing model. And so we want to bring that to each of our events as we go around the world. Um, and it's as simple as that. I, I love that. I, I think that that Noosa multi-sport festival week um, and it wasn't just even the races. We There was right. breakfasts and there was breakfast with the stars and dinners and parties and, and it was this coming together where as Australians you would see it almost as a season opener because it was positioned so yeah. well at the start of November there. Um, and it, was, it, it you might have done one or two little races beforehand but it was – when you went to Noosa, everybody went up for the week, um, and you you know you're watching Robbie McEwen win the crit race on the bike, and you're watching the runners, and um, it was just a really fun big week where people made it a week away and they enjoyed themselves. And so I think the reason Noosa did pretty well, and this is probably something for you guys to think about, I guess, is the timing of the year. Cyclists, runners, swimmers had all had their year internationally and they all came down and used it as their last hurrah. They were somewhat fit, but, you know, they put on a good show and everything else. And, and I think that did well for bringing in some of those top professionals. Have you guys thought about that, that just the timing of when you would do those events? Yes, look, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. And look, in the, um, it's less around the timing, I, sh- I should have added. The, um, most of the events, other than the triathlons, will be focused on age group. So it's more about bringing people into the sport rather than getting them Robbie McEwen's of the world cycling. However, we will have some prize purses. And so I look at the world of swimming, say, in North America, incredibly a huge sport, right? There's all these master swimmers and the, the strength of the, um, of the youth swimming and the Olympics in particular. And yet there are very few major open water swimming races mm. with prize purses. And so actually that's a really unique opportunity for the sport of triathlon to use its infrastructure to support a new market, right? And bring those people in. So, um, there's sort of, there are, there are some elements like, do, do I think we're going to get, um, some O'Fara running, you know, our 5k in, in Canada? Probably not, but will we get the top runners from across Canada to come and race for a, for a prize purse in the, in the five kilometer run? I hope so. Mm. And so it's probably, it's going to be different, different in different regions. And look, as you so well articulated, then there's racing is the one thing, but then there's all of the activities that go around it. So we're going to have a um, an expo sort of fan zone that will be across these events where we can showcase all the greatest products that are in the sport and have engagements with the professionals that are coming. And even most likely, depending on which region we're talking about, an industry conference so that we can get folks together. Like we want to make this the time, like Noosa was 20 years ago, it really isn't anymore, where you're getting everyone together, the whole sport can unite around it. But the pinnacle moment is the professional racing that we then broadcast to the world and really showcase the greatest athletes racing. So it's all sort of a build up to these momentous moments where we can get millions and millions of people watching watching the races and ultimately grow the sport and know the storytelling behind uh, who these athletes are because when the racing happens and you see Gustav and Christian and Jan and Daniela and Lucy and Holly and all these athletes going that's really magic mm. uh, and we've already shown that from a TV product we, we just need to give them more opportunities and more stages to, to compete on Oh mate congrats to all of it I, I'm so thrilled and excited for everything you guys are putting together and I think it's just fantastic that you're at the helm of it, mate. And and I like the fact that, you know, you guys are looking at from generating revenue from the broadcasting, sponsorships, potentially merchandising, I'm assuming, at some point. Yep, absolutely. And then I guess when it comes to picking the right cities, there must be some kind of a the cities are getting behind it or the states or, or whatever uh, is also supporting it. My point is in saying in all of those revenue generators is it's 
not all about the entry fees because I, yeah. I feel like that, like you said earlier, I really feel like that's been that's an, almost an ugly part of the sport that, that that events are relying on entry fees to make money and and I think just that's the most exciting part that you're creating spectacular events that can be broadcast that can then you can have these wonderful partnerships and sponsorships that want to get on board because they're benefiting from the broadcasting. So congrats on all of that, mate. And I'm, I'm really excited about 2022. You guys are moving, like you said, uh, <laughs> way faster than you had predicted. Um, and it's almost like yep. the, the COVID year held you back. So you guys are like, well, fine, we're going to double down on what we have and we're going to, we're going to accelerate. Is that how it feels to you? Yes. I mean, uh, it, would, it allowed us a year unexpectedly because, you know, we, COVID hit I mean, one month after we announced um, to slow down a little bit on the business planning, spend a bit more time with the athletes talking about where we want to go. And then what it's given us the advantage of is it allowed us to have a lot of conversations, as, as you've just pointed out, with cities and locations that might be the hosts in the future. Because, and you you said it better than I, like we have a unique, it's a unique business model for triathlon and that we're far more diversified, but actually it's completely common in almost every other professional sport, right? You have ticketing, you have broadcast revenue. Yeah. It's not all about age group registration. It's an important part, don't get me wrong. Like looking after the age groupers is very important, but you shouldn't have all of the economics riding on them because it just doesn't work, right? You get to this point where mm-hmm. things are too expensive. And I, we've already touched, touched on that at, at enough, but instead it's more around the traditional professional sports model, which is that we will bring in sponsors that are, you know, primarily non-endemic as well. So um, by that, I mean, sponsors from outside of the triathlon ecosystem. So that's not to say that our great partners um, in swimming, cycling and running aren't important, but again, a bit like the age groupers, the value or sorry, not the value, the costs of the event shouldn't all be on the backs of the folks that are in triathlon. When you've got insurance companies or cryptocurrency companies or investment <laughs> banks, they all want to connect with this audience. Um, but there hasn't been a platform that's allowed them to do so. And so we're creating a far more diverse model where we can lean into those and bring more money into the sport, ultimately to compensate our athletes because they're the owners. But And in doing so, create these amazing events, which we hope are really fantastic for everyone to come along to and experience, whether that's watching it or or participating in directly brilliant a couple of final questions before i let you go um, and thoughts um okay so first and foremost you know what are you what are you going to sort of measure success of the pto and say we're talking in five years time from now what are the metrics you're going to be actually looking at to say it was successful or is successful um, this thing, so five years, yeah, yeah. I, and look, five years is almost too short, to be honest. Like, we're very fortunate to have very, very long-term view on this. Um, the In the very short term, we have a very unusual metric, and we've been very open about this. Maybe your uh, listeners won't have heard this the first time, but I've said it a few times, is that our most important metric is unity. And that means that the athletes are behind the organization, recognizing what we're doing and working with us all together, whether that's through the board or through the committees or attending the races and promoting the content, that they're having the impact that we believe we all can together. Because united together, this this body is very strong, but divided, it's weak. And that's, again, not unique to triathlon. It's the same as almost any other sport. And so um, when we chat to Sir Michael in board meetings and we talk about the progress the organization is having, unity and how the athletes are is actually the first thing we we spend time talking about. Um, And I'm happy to share, as you kind of, we talked about it for like an hour or so, we're in a really great spot there. I think the athletes as a body have really united around it. The um, the interesting challenge we're going through now, and it's very subtle, but you'll, you'll understand the psychology of what we're thinking is we're actually really trying... Um, with everybody to not refer to, to always refer to the PTO is in the first person is that we are the PTO, not the PTO is doing something for me. So if I'm 
let's say, um, athlete number 10, what I want to hear them say is, yes, we're doing this fantastic race and we're excited about the opportunity and we've seen the broadcast, not the PTO is putting on a race because the PTO is the athletes. Mm. It's a really subtle nuance, but it's one that's important to us. And so we'll see whether we can change that sort of etymology with the athletes over time that they're really seeing this as their organization. Now, that's really blunt and open about the kind of things we talk about, but we're, we're a pretty transparent bunch. Um, longer term, to your question, establishing the events getting uh, a good following of both viewership and participation will be really important um, over the next two to three years that ultimately in the next five to 10 years, we can monetize it. Uh, and it really does take that long to commercialize something like this. You know, we'll, we'll bring in sponsors earlier than that, I'm sure, but we won't rush to do the wrong deals. Mm -hmm. um, we're very fortunate with long-term investors that we can do this right. Uh, and so you'll see potentially this will take a little bit longer to commercialize. Potentially it won't, but we're, we're not sort of rushing out there saying we've got to put on X amount of events and have X amount of sponsors. Otherwise we won't be able to make this model work. We know this will, um, we know the incredible value in the space. It's going to take a bit of time to get there, but we're, we're already ahead of the plan as, uh, as we've talked about. Nice. I mean, you, you talk about unity. That's a hard one to measure. How, how do you, I mean, how do you measure <laughs> unity? It's like to say, you know, if that's the number one metric you want to lead with, it's like, well, have you got, what does that mean? I mean, I, I'm sorry to dive deeper on that, but, but it got me thinking, no, no, going, well, well, what it. does unity mean? You know, how, how do you actually measure that? Like athletes post posting on Instagram. Yeah. Look at this. There's so many ways to show it, right? Is that are the athletes behind this as a body? Are they, are they coming to the Collins cup? Are they excited about what they're doing? I mean, and I, and I mean this genuinely, not just because it's the world number one, um, at the time, but like, as you may have seen, Jan Frodeno was posting fantastic content about himself at the Collins cup. I mean, the, the, one of the best videos to me of the whole week was Jan diving in to rescue Sam Long. I say rescue in parentheses and pretending that he was a lifeguard. Right. And I'm sure you remember the video I'm talking about. We could put it on the show notes for those who haven't seen it. Like that's really natural. We didn't ask Jan to do that, right? We didn't say you need to go and create a piece of content at the Collins Cup so that we can showcase it. We created a stage that allowed him to be who he is and showcase his fantastic personality. That's an example of unity, yeah. right? It's being behind the organization and leaning in because we as a, as a commercial entity, we benefit because, you know, the view count goes up and broadcasters and sponsors see that and say, wow, the world number one is making videos around your event. I don't see him doing that in most events, right? And I won't say the brands because I'm too polite, but that doesn't happen with us with other other groups right so i like that yeah you, I, I just want to agree give a big shout out to jan fedino he's been on this show three times four times whatever but one of just the most professional and and, and yes. what i like about that is he's leading the way so the young rudy vonberg sam long you know ben canute these guys are like, okay it's you know world number one's doing this what it, it, leading the way like that i think is just phenomenal the other one i would give a shout out is to like a lucy charles barclay who also is just uh you know a media machine uh with her whole support Absolutely. team and, yep. and i think they're, they're both of those two seem to be really leading the way for the others to be able to follow or even one up um in the future but i think that that's great that you've mm. got your very best uh, being prepared to to go out on their own and do stuff like that for you and do that yeah exactly and like lucy is a really good example actually so like lucy nearly two years ago when we first launched one of the first pieces of content we did was she invited me to speak on her show about what the pto was like if there's not a better example of unity than that yeah. right so that, that's all we, we mean is just athletes being behind what we're doing coming to our races and then really all we want them to do is do what they do best which is perform mm. and we think we can do the rest right we'll set the stage we'll get the cameras in the right directions we'll tell 
the stories, but if they're out there doing like, look what Christian and Gustav just did in the last month or so, mm. those are incredibly inspiring stories. Um, and that will allow this, uh, the rest of it will be easy if we can continue having performances like that. Right. <laughs> it is fantastic. Can I ask one personal question before we go? Cause I have kept you a long time. No, it's okay. How come we're not seeing the rankings of the PTO include our Olympic and super league and short course athletes? That one kind of, disappoints me bugs me a bit <laughs> ah okay let me think of the way to answer look it's nothing to do with governance or us viewing different organizations in different ways um look put really simply you can only fix so many things at once and we thought the long distance elements of the sport is the area that needs the most fixing um and so we wanted to go and, and help those athletes the most and lean into that first of all um i think what maca and the super league team are doing in the short distance end of the sport is absolutely fantastic right like the stuff they've done with esports recently mm. with swift is really good examples of innovation um, the short distance athletes just didn't really need as much support as, as the long distance athletes in the short term. So I, I add that, like, you know, in the long term, absolutely our plan is to incorporate all forms of triathlon. And we've been very open about that. The World Triathlon, uh, um, we consider, uh, you know, our governing body. We meet with them very regularly to talk about how we'll add shorter distance racing over time. It's just sort of, without giving you too, too simple an answer, it's sort of watch this space. You know, we can, we can only okay. do one, yeah. one thing at a time. So, lo- so long as we're on the same page, mate, I think some of our greatest athletes in the sport are, Sure. I do think they need uh, the 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 support structure around them as much as they might have their federations and that kind of thing. And also a big shout out to Chris McCormack and what they're all doing at the Super League there. Absolutely. Um, and and I think they've they're really trying to bring out the personalities there. They did a great little documentary on Vincent Lewis and uh, and and that kind of stuff. I think the more we get that content. Um, from either the PTO, the Super League, the the World Triathlon Series, or potentially one day Ironman and um, obviously Challenge. I think it's just all great for the sport. Sam, this has just been wonderful, mate. You and I could talk for hours and hours and hours, but I I know we, I know uh, I might be boring the listeners if you and I just keep on going. But mate, I, I could. Geek, I'm sure I am. I so can geek out. No, you are very entertaining in the way you tell stories and the way that you illustrate what's going on it really has just been I've, I've sat back on this one and been able to just sit and really listen I haven't had to do too much work you've, you've kept the, you've kept this show alive so I really appreciate it it's been absolutely oh, that's, fantastic that's my pleasure mate like, it's a, like I said it's a calling for me rather than a job and I'm getting to promote these incredible athletes to the world well, so it's, uh, it's a pleasure to speak about well I hope I can be involved more going forward um, if I can help in any absolutely. way I'd love to be here mate so uh, but thanks again so much for your time and just sharing all of that really appreciate it for everyone listening you can find all the show notes and timestamps and links and coupon codes and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice don't miss the next episode so subscribe and be notified For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.